This is the story of how a group of friends on the internet tried to buy an original copy of the Constitution of the United States. But before we get into the story of Constitution Dao, let's start with the Constitution itself. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and ensure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. That's how it starts, anyway. The Constitution, well, it wasn't even really the first Constitution. Wait, what? The one I just read from actually superseded the Articles of Confederation, which was an agreement between the 13 original states that was approved by the Second Continental Congress on November 15, 1777, and later came into effect after being ratified by the states on March 1, 1781. The guiding principle behind the Articles was to establish and preserve the independence and sovereignty of the states. Over time, though, delegates found that the limitations of the central government were too limiting and revisions began to be discussed. Fast forward to the Constitutional Convention, which took place between May 25th and September 17, 1787 in Philadelphia. Initially intended to revise the Articles of Confederation, the four-month convention was in fact the birthplace of an entirely new frame of government, what is now known as the Constitution of the United States, the longest continuing charter of government in the world. Have you ever read the Constitution? I haven't. Well, neither have I, but here is the TLDR. Articles 1 to 3 outline the three branches of the federal government. The legislative, so bicameral Congress. The executive, the president and his lackeys. And the judicial, the Supreme Court. Articles 4 to 6 outline the rights and responsibilities of state governments, how states relate to the federal government, and the process of constitutional amendments. Okay, enough of that. I'll put the tweed jacket and pipe away. On September 17th, 2021, exactly 234 years since America's founding fathers signed the original Constitution, Sotheby's Law 1787 was announced, the official edition of the United States Constitution and the first printing of the final text of the Constitution, printed by Dunlap and Claypool on the 17th of September, 1787. Estimated price? 15 to 20 million U.S. dollars. This copy is one of only 13 known surviving copies out of the 500 original copies. So are these fungible or non-fungible? Well, I guess they're closest to ERCLM55 semi-fungibles in that they're like editions of the same thing. But you could probably argue that they're really non-fungible since each one is unique print with particular characteristics like condition and wear. Well, they're certainly deflationary if there's only 13 left out of 500. This copy is from the collection of Dorothy Tapper, and all proceeds from the sale benefited the Dorothy Tapper Goldman Foundation, which is dedicated to furthering the understanding of U.S. democracy and how acts of all citizens can make a difference. So, regardless of who won the auction, at least the funds were going to a nonprofit. This same copy was actually auctioned back in 1988 for the paltry sum of 165,000 US dollars. Okay, so let's see. 43,173,000 US divided by 165,000. 
that's over 260 times profit. That's insane. I mean, I know money printer go burr and there's been a lot of inflation since 1988, but still. If you thought ETH was ultrasound money, you should have actually bought Constitution copies. Constitution Nation. We're here to explore the frontier of ultrasound money and American history. This is how it got started, how they raised millions, and how Ken Griffin front-run the opportunity to buy the Constitution. This is Matthew Sean Adams, and I'm here with Briley Hoffman, and we're here to help you go. Okay, this isn't bankless. This is the Juice Cast. Don't worry. Let's go back to Constitution Dow and see where this story began. Like most good things in life, it all started with a group chat. Actually, many group chats. Gas station was one, but there were probably countless others. Crypto Twitter was talking, and soon a consensus was reached. Let's buy the U.S. Constitution. Even though the story of Constitution Dow isn't about any particular person, we have to start somewhere. So our story begins with Graham Novak, whose first foray into crypto was in 2017 when he attempted to arbitrage Litecoin and Bitcoin on a Zimbabwean exchange called Golix before the country banned cryptocurrencies. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty fun story. At the time in 2017, I was running a Web2 company called NomadX, and one of my customers had already kind of hit it big on crypto, Bitcoin in particular, was traveling the world on crypto money, and I was still relatively unknowledgeable, and so I just kind of asked him, clearly you know something I don't, what should I know about it? And he started telling me about Bitcoin, recommended a couple books, a couple blogs, in particular, Digital Gold by Nathaniel Popper was the first book that really took me down the rabbit hole. Next thing I knew, I was trying to arbitrage Litecoin and Bitcoin on this tiny, itsy, bitsy, esoteric exchange in Zimbabwe called Golix. There's this massive, like 80% premium I'd seen in a publication somewhere. It was all relatively uh, unsuccessful, but fascinating enough to get me hooked. Fast forward to Thursday, November 11th, 2021 at 9.55 a.m. Graham is sitting in an office in Atlanta, Georgia, where he manages crypto investments at 28th Street Ventures. That morning of November 11th, exactly a week before the actual auction itself, I'd been doing research and reading on Flamingo Dow, a group that does group purchases of NFTs. I thought they were very curious, really interesting. Simultaneously, I was in a group chat of friends from college. None of them are in crypto, none of them are in Web3, and one of them happens to work at an auction house. And she forwarded this article that had been published about two months earlier by Reuters. This is the one that we started circulating to people. And she sent it to the group with you know, just some joking caption, like, haha, you know, who wants to buy me an early Christmas present? <laughs> I opened up the article and was astounded by something immediately, which was how low the actual estimated purchase price was, 15 to $20 million. And relatively quickly, the idea of like, wow, like if you can pull together crypto money to buy NFTs, why can't we do this with a real world artifact, a real world item, especially one with this you know, level of importance in the world of governance, right? How amazing would that be? So I messaged my buddy, Austin Kane. We talk about crypto and Web3 things. And relatively soon after, started messaging lots of people. Packy McCormick, I'd send an email to him right away. And Julian Weiser, a number of other people. Austin started tweeting some things. I know at some point, Julian wrote a thread. I know that Dame, saw this, started tweeting about it. Miguel Pizarfita, who ended up being very important to the project, he saw it and I think it was him or Dame threw it into the gas station group chat. And there was a lot of group <laughs> members from that group who ended up being really, really involved in the project and massively helpful people. And so from my angle, that was you know a lot of the starting points of it. And from there, it really started to snowball. 
That same morning, Cabin co-founder John Hillis is making coffee on what seems like an otherwise normal and peaceful day at Neighborhood Zero, around 45 minutes outside of Austin, Texas. Last fall, I was out living at the cabins, and at the time, Julian Weiser, one of the founders of On Deck and a friend, was staying at the cabins. He was staying up at the new shipping container cabin that we'd built up the hill. And so one morning, I walked up just to have a cup of coffee with Julian at the container cabin, and I walked in, and he was, you know, furiously typing away on his laptop, standing, you know, in the kind of dining room area. And he just looked at me and he's like, dude, I think we're going to try to buy the Constitution. Do you want to help out? (laughs) I was like, "Uh, I don't really know what you're talking about yet, but I'm 100% on board. Of course, not realizing that for the next week of both of our lives, it was just going to be like 24-7 nonstop insanity. Later that day at 2.36 p.m., Graham sends out an email to Sotheby's expressing interest in bidding in the auction and requesting further details to nail down the logistics of what would be needed to comply with Sotheby's terms. It turns out that Sotheby's had already dealt with crypto organizations and had a dedicated email, crypto at Sotheby's.com, which sounds fake, but it's actually real. Later that day, there is a kickoff call around 8 p.m. to start going over logistics and next steps. Jonah, who would later go on to co-found Den with his business partner Itai, was one of the members of that fateful first meeting. So how I got involved with Constitution DAO is I was in this group chat, and in this group chat, people were making jokes about the U.S. Constitution being for auction, and oh, Nick Cage, we should go steal the Constitution. We then realized, oh, that was the Declaration of Independence, so maybe we can do our own thing with this one. And a Zoom call was put together where half the people that came were making jokes, not planning on doing anything serious, and the other half of the group was like, no, we can actually do this thing, and we can win. And the energy in that room was like nothing I've ever seen. I think the best way to describe it is it was the pull of an extremely exciting mimetic outcome. I say mimetic because that's really one of the big things that drove a lot of the Constitution DAO was the memes. So that's kind of how we initially got pulled in. And then from there, it was a sprint. Alice, engineer and co-founder of Mad Realities, was also one of the attendees for the first kickoff call. I would say every good meme has 10 layers. At the top layer is just for fun, very funny, but then actually moves you at the 10th layer. It was hilarious from the beginning, like the Nicolas Cage meme was very funny. But I would also say the reason that we actually did it and the reason we picked up momentum was on that first night, on that Thursday night, it was very obvious to us that why should this document be on sale to the highest bidder? Like, why is this not public property? That was like the driving thing from the beginning was this is actually in many ways a national treasure style heist where we're like heisting it from like the next billionaire's hands so that we can put it in museums and let that be this novel way of collaborative decision-making around where exactly it should be displayed. Because the other copies of the Constitution are actually very concentrated in just a couple cities. And so I think it was like all good memes. It was, it was a mix of the two. As they wrapped up the call, the clock started ticking. They had less than one week until the Sotheby's auction in New York City on November 18th. That night, Miguel created a Discord and Austin started a Twitter account to begin their campaign. By the end of day one, 288 people are in the Discord, 
A Discord server and a Twitter account were just the start, though. There is still a lot of work to do. Alice helped make a warmer introduction to Sotheby's through a mutual friend with connections in both Web3 and the traditional art world. You can imagine on the first night when this is still a meme, the big thing of if it actually happens is like, can we actually bid? That's the big question between it being like a joke versus being real. And so I called up my friend Sabrina. She was a director at Pace Gallery. So she's both in the world of fine art and in the world of Web3. She also an angel invests in a bunch of companies and pitched her the idea. And she was like, I know exactly who to reach out to. I think they would do it. I think this makes a ton of sense and narratively and like artistically too, because if this is going on auction, why can't a collective or community actually also participate since it's a document with so much importance to so many people. And so the first interaction, like day one or day two, Sotheby's was definitely like, you're going to raise $20 million in six days. And we're like, yes, yes, it's going to happen. By Friday night, the end of day two, the Discord had grown to over 2,000 people and over $3 million in soft commitments were on the table. Constitution Dow didn't even exist 48 hours ago. One thing that I think a lot of people were confused about was who would own the document. When you purchase people tokens, you are receiving governance votes over what to do with the document, where it would be displayed, and how. Because Sotheby's wouldn't allow a DAO to bid due to the KYC requirements, Constitution DAO partnered with a nonprofit called Endowment. And that's Endowment spelled D A O, in case you aren't familiar. They would hold custody of the document and bid on behalf of Constitution DAO at Sotheby's. Once the DAO acquired the document, they would allow members to make proposals and vote to decide where the document would be displayed. Graham was part of the team researching potential venues for displaying the Constitution. Ultimately, we were very interested in leaving this up to be for the community to decide. The first large community governance vote was going to be, what do we want to do with this document? And we wanted to have a rock-solid plan to be able to present. If nothing else, there is a great option to put forward. And the thing that I was most excited about was specifically a group called Federal Hall. Now, Federal Hall is a bastion of American history. It's actually where Congress was originally based out of before the Capitol moved from New York City to Washington, D.C. It's where George Washington was inaugurated, the Bill of Rights was passed. So it's a very historic place. And they right now are free, open, accessible to the public. They have about 17 million annual people that come by their door each year. And being managed by the National Park Service, we're like, wow, this is a great public place to place, in my mind, an amazing public good. And they are in the process of gearing up for the 2026 celebration, the 250th anniversary of the country. And this could have been the cornerstone document of their display, talking about the evolution of the Constitution and our democracy over time. A core team had formed, and over the next couple days, they debated which fundraising platform was the best fit for the campaign. They had three main options, Mir, Syndicate, and Juicebox. Behind door number one, Mir. Not the reflection in your bathroom vanity, but the one that allows you to reflect on your thoughts and immortalize them on our weave. Comes with options for subscriptions, collections, and crowdfunding too. Behind door number two, Syndicate, a full suite of fundraising tools with legal compliance baked right in. 
Backed by over 45 Series A investors, you can create the investment club of your dreams, all for just the cost of gas. And door number three, juice box. Wait, is that a banana smoking a blunt? It sure is. This juice box is fully loaded with programmable treasury tools that allow you to build your project in the open on Ethereum. It comes with funding cycles and targets, payout distribution in percentages or amounts, token issuance, and now with NFTs to reward contributors when they meet your funding criteria. Open a juice box project today. Okay, back to our regular scheduled programming. While each had a history of raising funds and kickstarting DAOs, there were still concerns about putting millions of dollars into unaudited smart contracts. In the end, the team chose Juicebox in part because of the overflow mechanism that would allow refunds in the event that they didn't win the auction. We were looking at a couple different providers early on, and it was talking to the Juicebox team. This is another area where like the power of things being public and open source is so beautiful because we probably had like 100 people look at the contract before we decided to use it. We had like a whole channel, like there were so many people who were looking at the different contracts and providing their opinion. I was definitely like, okay, it's a little battle tested in that I think it had supported SharkDAO before and that was around like $11 million. That's why Juicebox was so like deeply involved with Constitution Dow. We were like, they are part of our team. At 8.31 p.m. on Sunday night, the end of day four, the Juicebox project was live on mainnet and the people token was deployed shortly after. Within 10 minutes of starting to accept contributions, they had already amassed 250,000 US dollars worth of ETH. By Monday, November 15th, day five, the media narrative started to heat up. Allison Packy appeared on CNBC to discuss the campaign. A rare piece of American history is headed for the auction block. Sotheby's auctioning off a copy of the U.S. Constitution on Thursday, and a group of crypto investors won in. The organization, called Constitution Dow, is raising money using a digital crypto wallet in hopes of securing the winning bid. So far, they've raised more than 800,000 Ether, which is roughly the equivalent of $3.7 million. Joining us is Constitution Dow's Alice Ma. We're also joined by Packy McCormick of the Not Boring News newsletter. He's also a contributor of the project. So, Packy, I'm going to start with you. Why in the world do a bunch of crypto investors want to get together and own the Constitution? And what are they going to do with it? I was really grateful to Packy. Packy knew what to do. Packy was a star in that interview. I think that even just focusing on the like utility or value prop of it first made so much sense to normies. It's like, okay, why is this on auction to a billionaire at Sotheby's? We're going to actually crowdfund and then be able to vote on where it goes. Like it's going to be put in the hands of the people. Don't you want to be a part of that? They're like, yeah, that is what I want to do. Like, I think it was a form of protest for a lot of people, whether they were had ever touched anything in Web3 or not. And I think that was what resonated with so many people and why there were 17,000 unique contributors to the crowdfund is because that base message already made so much sense. And then everything after about like how, the logistics of how to a normie, it was like, okay, I'm gonna like make a wallet and buy some Ethereum and send it. But that wasn't the important part to them. So I think being on TV, like for me, 
the most important thing was getting across the base motivations of why we were doing this. And also like that we had like a actually very, very good plan for how to handle all the logistics. It was a crazy moment. I had friends from high school. We were in like the same math class in high school. And they're like, Alice is, I'm like at my day job as a Wall Street trader. And this is on TV because it's like, I think it was like the money markets segment. And it was definitely a bit of a crazy moment. I feel like I just didn't even really think about that, though. Later that evening, seven core team members sat down with Kevin Roos of the New York Times for an interview on Zoom. Kevin is sitting in front of a bookshelf and a print of the famous Windows XP computer wallpaper. The interview is a huge success. Vibes are impeccable. The article will be published a few days later on the 17th and contains a few memorable quotes, including when Miguel is referred to somewhat infamously as the purple-haired developer. More on that later, though. The next few days are a whirlwind. Money continues pouring in, Constitution Dow is making headlines everywhere, and time is running short leading up to the auction on the 18th. Not everything is peachy keen, though. And along the way, a member of the core team is voted out. The tribe has spoken. But we'll talk more about that in the next episode. We mentioned Atai earlier, Jonah's business partner at Den. Though this all started out as a meme, like many others, he was deadly serious about the project and set out to communicate that to the community at large. It stopped feeling like a joke almost immediately, and I think it was part of our own gravitas towards our goal. I think what really happens is when you have this really crazy lofty goal and you communicate how serious you are about it, it is contagious. People really start to take that on. And I think we can't help it as humans. When we see someone serious, we start to take something pretty seriously too. When it really started to feel like it took off was when some of the money started flowing in. If I recall correctly, it was gradually at first, then all at once. And I think it was really once we crossed the $1 million threshold of donations where we realized we really have a chance. And then after that $1 million mark, it snowballed. And as we got more and more and more donations, it became really clear that we could be serious combatants in this auction. But at a certain point, fundraising started to plateau. Money was coming in, but the momentum wasn't enough for the campaign to pass Sotheby's proof of funds requirement by Thursday, the day of the auction. John had a plan. We were starting to hit a little bit of a plateau on fundraising. So at that point, I don't remember the exact numbers, but in the first couple days, we raised something like five or six million dollars very quickly, but then we were plateauing and it was evident that we weren't going to hit the deadline if we just kept going on that trajectory. And so we developed the thesis that what we basically needed was like a big whale to come in and make a big contribution that could like restart the hype engine and get us up to the fundraising goal that we needed, which I think at the time we thought was maybe in the like $20 million range. And so I set out to go find a whale. <laughs> to basically kick in a million bucks or something that could help really get things jump-started again. 
what actually ended up kicking off the cycle. We were correct in predicting that we needed a big whale to kick it off again, but it was actually an anonymous whale. We don't know who it was. <laughs> I don't think anybody knows who it was because it, it came from an anonymous address, but it's possible somebody does. <laughs> I, I certainly don't though. I think they put in a million dollars right at the time when it looked like the project was not going to reach the goal. This must have been Tuesday or Wednesday before the Thursday auction, if I'm remembering correctly. And then after they kicked in that money, we started seeing a lot more larger dollar amounts come in, as well as just a tremendous number of small dollar contributors who helped set off the next meme cycle that got us up to the $47 million by the deadline. Metaversal also committed $1 million live on the Andreessen Horowitz show on Clubhouse. The ball was rolling again, and over the next 24 hours, the treasury miraculously grew to over $40 million. This last day is crazy. The money coming into Juicebox on the day of the 17th and leading into the 18th made up more than half of the entire amount that was raised for Constitution Dow. The meme had reached escape velocity. So this next part is interesting because it brings us to a point in the story that mirrors today in many ways. What's going on today? ETH is down. And FTX has filed for bankruptcy after stealing billions of customer funds to keep their trading firm Alameda Research afloat. Leading up to providing proof of funds for Sotheby's in time for the auction on the 18th, the price of ETH falls to nearly $4,000 US. This was quite a dip of roughly 15% over the past week, which started out around $4,800 US. Of course, this all sounds ridiculous now. I mean, (laughs) what a dip, you know? In response to this, Sotheby's tells the core team that they are no longer accepting ETH as proof of funds as previously agreed upon. This means that Constitution Dow needed to swap over 40 million worth of ETH into US dollars, and they needed to do it fast. The multi-sig for Constitution Dow was set up as a 9 out of 13, meaning that 9 signers were needed for this critical transaction to go through. It was set up this way both for security and for the memes, as the Constitution only became law once it was ratified by 9 of the 13 original states. The multi-sig, and I see Jonah smiling because we really, we had quite the time with it. It was a 9 of 13, so there were 13 signers, and we needed 9 to sign off. A lot of the signers were people that were pretty public-facing in crypto as a way of really building trust. We had this goal, and we set out to do it, and we wanted people to really trust the same way we trusted in ourselves that we were going to do it. So we had these public facing figures and that was a challenge. It wasn't a challenge because they were public facing figures, but it was a challenge just to coordinate 13 people to get nine of them to sign off on a transaction. We had the situation where we had a change of what we expected. Originally, we thought we could do the auction in Ether and it changed. We were told that we now had to do it in fiat which means in a very short amount of time, we had to send a single transaction to FTX that agreed to do the conversion for us and convert that Ether to fiat. That was one transaction, but getting nine people to sign off out of 13 was a hassle. We were DMing people's relatives, trying to get them to get a hold of the signers. If we knew that they frequented a coffee shop or worked out of some office, we were sprinting. We couldn't miss our shot. The stakes were too high. Too many people were counting on us. 
FTX agrees to a strike price of 11500 ETH at $4,000. So slightly below market value, but they agree to buy and sell it back at the same price, mitigating any price risk. So just to get the calculator out here, $46 million, baby. In the end, they managed to get the signers needed to execute the transaction and provide proof of funds in the form of fiat in order to satisfy Sotheby's requirements. The auction was starting at 6.30 p.m. and this was all happening around 2 p.m. in the afternoon. Fucking crazy. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening from Sotheby's, New York. I'm Quig Bruning, and tonight I'll be your auctioneer for a very special evening sale. For the first time, Sotheby's is presenting a unique single lot sale as part of our November marquee auction series, alongside our biggest sales of the year for contemporary and modern art. Such a showcase is a perfect presentation for one of the rarest and most prized pieces of American history, a first printing of the United States Constitution, dating to 1787. It was finally happening. Several core team members gathered in an undisclosed location in New York City to watch the auction livestream. All of their hard work and over 17,000 individual contributions had led to this moment. The energy in that room was electric. It was insane. It was a ton of core team members. It was a lot of friends of the core team. It was people from media that were doing interviews, recording. When we were watching the auction, we were not allowed to say who was bidding on our behalf until the announcement was official of who had won. While the auction itself was happening, I felt like I was either going to puke or cry, and I couldn't tell for which outcome which one was going to happen. And now let's begin the auction, lot 1787, the Constitution of the United States of America. We'll start the bidding here at $10 million, at $10 million, $11 million, $12 million, at $13 million, now $14 million, the bid's here with me at $14 million, at $14 million, $30 million with Brooke Lampley, $30 million now is bid with Brooke, it's Brooke's bid at $30, at $30 million with Brooke Lampley, Brooke, the bid is yours at $30, you say $31, Courtney, $30 million, Brooke, the bid is yours at $30. There were two competing factions here. David Schrader and Brooke Lampley. Armchair commentators on YouTube had mostly decided that Brooke was representing Constitution Dow, but this detail was not known by even some of the core team members themselves. With Brooke at 41 million. Just in time at 41 million dollars, Brooke Lampley, the bid is yours at 41. Mr. Schrader, what shall we say? At $41 million, it is Brooke's bid at 41. It's ahead of your phone, it's with Brooke at 41 million. This historic document with Brooke Lampley's bid at $41 million, viewed around the country at 41. No, are we sure? At $41 million, Brooke, looks like congratulations are in order to your bidder. David, you're out. Anyone else is welcome to jump in, but Brooke Lampley, the bid is yours for the United States Constitution at $41 million. Sold $41 million, paddle 411. Congratulations, David. 
I hope you thanked your bidders profusely before they hung up. Was Brooke Lampley bidding on behalf of the Dow, or did they just suffer a crushing defeat? You probably know what happens next, but we're not going to tell you. Not in this episode, at least. In the next episode of the Constitution Dow Retrospective, we dive into the aftermath of the auction, the tensions and internal conflicts that came up along the way, and we introduce the antagonist of this story, Ken Griffin. We tackle the media narratives that surrounded Constitution Dow, what collective governance of the Constitution meant to different people, as well as criticisms of the project, including the tension between centralization and decentralization. Thanks for listening to this special Constitution Dow retrospective episode of the JuiceCast. The views expressed in this episode do not reflect the Juicebox protocol or Juicebox DAO, only the guests themselves. As hosts, we have compiled a narrative for the purposes of this episode, but this is not definitive by any means. It is only one retelling of the events that unfolded in November 2021. This retrospective series is not an endorsement of Constitution DAO or related projects and sub-DAOs. Do not purchase people tokens, other cryptocurrencies, or invest in projects on Juicebox with the expectation of profit. As always, nothing in this episode is financial advice, and we ask that you please do your own research.